This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Okay, so we're going to talk about um, temptation and how to resist temptation. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 today. And let me ask you a question. It's kind of a doctrinal, theological question. You know that Jesus was and is true God. So this is kind of a loaded question. Now, he was true man and true God. Now, was Jesus capable of sin when he lived on this earth? How many say Jesus was not capable of sin. Okay. How many say he was? Okay. You're not voting. <laughs> the first group was right. You know, a lot of people think, well, that takes something away from Jesus if he couldn't sin because I want to know that my Savior went through the same struggles as I did with sin. See? Well, would you agree that to struggle with sin in itself is to desire it. And the struggle in itself with sin. What you're saying is, when you struggle with sin, is I want it, and now I'm struggling to resist it. Did Jesus ever have such struggles? Of course not. Because why do we struggle with sin? Because we have a fallen sinful nature. We call it the flesh, okay? And it goes all the way back to Adam. We inherited from our parents. And I, I'll just show you the scripture. I read this last week too. Psalm 51 verse 5. David writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Surely I was sinful at birth. And then he takes it back to conception. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. At the moment of conception, in each of us, there was sin passed on from our parents, taking it all the way back to Adam. Now, what did, what did the angel say to the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1 when he announced that she would be the mother of the Messiah or the Savior? He said, you will be the mother of the Most High God, and he will be conceived in you by the Holy Spirit. So being conceived by the Holy Spirit, there is no sin nature. He received nothing from his parents. There's no sin nature in Jesus, and that simply means there's nothing for sin to make its appeal to. And the devil didn't know that. Now, here's the neat part of that, though. Jesus Christ went through temptation with Satan in the wilderness. We'll get that in a minute. But he also lived with temptation all around him, see. And he knew what comes at mankind. He knew the kind of a world we live in. That's why this is such a precious passage in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
meaning he is not unable, meaning he is able to sympathize with, with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Now, that's true. He was tempted in every way, only without sin, it goes on to say. He was tempted in every way, but there was nothing in him to say, well, I want that. I want to sin. Nothing. Zero. He couldn't sin. And don't let that take anything away from you because he was in the world and he knows all the temptations that come at man and he sympathizes with you. And look at the next verse. This is Hebrews 14, 16. Therefore, let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so you know he knows what temptation is all about because he lived in that world, although it never affected him. And you know he's going to hear your prayer and answer your prayer when you say, Lord, help. And he's going to give you what you need in that time of need. And that's what this message is all about. Okay, so we want to establish that. Now, here's something else I know. I know Satan doesn't know everything, and he didn't know that Jesus Christ was incapable of sin. He knows a lot, but he didn't know Jesus. That's why we read in chapter 4 of Matthew, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted, okay? Why would the Spirit lead him to be tempted by the devil? To show him what he had to face in this life. And a graphic way to show him, you know, he, 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 accepted our, he accepted our humanity. And although he couldn't sin, the Spirit of God was saying, I want you to know what it's like to live in this world of sin. I want you to know what people, what people experience, how the devil, the world, and your flesh come at you. So he let him out into temptation so he could understand us. I'm serious. And he led him into the wilderness into the very hot desert to be tempted by the devil after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread and so he's in the desert for a 40-day fast commanded by his father now satan comes by and he he's going to tempt them like i said he didn't know that jesus could not sin satan's thinking was this Jesus is the big one. If I can make him sin just once, that's it. The Father will reject him. He'll be mine. He won't be the perfect substitute, and there will be no salvation for these people, and Satan knew that. Just one sin. Now, how did the movie show Satan? All the Jesus movies. He comes to Jesus, you know, being tempted as a hooded being with beady eyes, okay? And all you can see is the glowing beady eyes behind this black robe and this black hood. I don't see it that way because Satan is also very subtle. You got to know Satan is very subtle. So I don't see it that way. I see Satan come, coming up to him and don't forget he came to him not at the third day of his fast, not at the 29th day, not at the 39th day. He came on the 40th day and that says something to us and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I believe he came to Jesus just as a normal guy. And there Jesus maybe sitting on a rock and he walks up to him and says, man, at first I said, do you look peaked? You look white. But he was in the sun for 40 days, so he was probably sunburned. But anyway, he said, man, do you look famished? Come on, guy. Look at this. It says, if you are the son of God, listen, the same word in Greek means since. And your commentaries will tell you that means since you are the son of God, okay? Since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Man, what? You're not looking at the son of God. Look at all these. I mean, you made these stones. You can turn them into bread. Come on, do it. See, and what was the temptation? 
God commanded you, he commanded you not to eat for 40 days so you can turn these stones into bread and you can eat and you can disobey your father because you're your own man. It was a temptation to, diso to disobedience, questioning the father's judgment. Now what came to Jesus' mind immediately? What came to his mind? Kind of, yeah, kind of an obscure Bible passage in, in Deuteronomy 8.3. And I checked all these out. And Jesus said, he said, he answered, it is written, man, know that. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's how you fight temptation. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.13, 8.3, man, I tell you, I went back and I read that, and that's kind of, you know, just, it's in the flow of words, but I don't think I would have picked up on that. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of his father's mouth. And I'm making that point because I really believe that Jesus, as true man, had to study scripture. He just didn't know it automatically. And I believed as he grew up, he studied those scriptures so much. And I kind of believe, and this is personal, that he had the whole Old Testament memorized. So now you get to the next, the next temptation in verse 5. And the devil took him to the, um, the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. And then again, he says, since you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he quotes scripture. He says, you know, he's standing on the highest point of the temple. Solomon's temple that Herod rebuilt. The highest point. I mean, this thing was an architectural masterpiece. So he's up there on the top of this temple, and, and the devil tells him to jump. And then he quotes scripture. Well, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your little footsie against a stone. His angels are going to protect you. No, he says, jump, and what's that mean? It means, well, your father promised you. Let's put him to the test. There is a promise of your father. Let's see how faithful God is. Test his faithfulness. Test his love. Imagine the problem, you're my son, I love you, go die for those people. Is he going to catch you in midair? And what did Jesus come back with? And this is really a passage that's buried in Scripture in Deuteronomy 6, 6.13, I believe it is. Yeah, no, Deuteronomy 6.16, because he said, don't put your Lord to the test. As I read that in Scripture, it would be so easy for me to miss. And I am so impressed that Jesus knew that Scripture. I am really impressed with that. So don't put the Lord your God to the test. He said it means God's faithful. You trust him. He made the promise and he will keep it. One more. And this is the summit of temptations. Verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, people have a problem with that. And they ask, well, what's the devil's to give? In a sense, yes, but literally, no, because the world belonged to God. But you see, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, man had now a corrupt, sinful, fallen nature. And unless you place your faith in the one true God, for the people in the Old Testament, in God the Father's promise of a Messiah... And for us in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ, unless you place your faith in him, you know, you're not going to have any strength to stand up against your sin. I mean, supernatural, divine strength. And so, yes, yeah, Satan controls those people, everyone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. And yes, there is a sense in which Satan is what the Bible calls him, the prince of this world, the God of this age, and God allows him to do that. And so he showed him all the secular kingdoms of the world. And what is this the temptation to? He said, Jesus, just fall on your knees and worship me. 
That's what Satan wanted. He wanted to be worshipped. Why did, he, why did God cast him out of heaven? Because he led a rebellion. Let's get God. Let's dethrone him. Put me on the throne. Make me God and worship me. That's what he wanted, see? He wanted to be worshipped. And Satan wanted him. Now here's the temptation. To circumvent the cross. I'll give it all to you the easy way. Just, just, just bow your knee to me and I'll give it all to you. Take the easy way. Don't struggle. Don't go through, for us it means don't struggle. Don't go through the hardships that God wants you to go through. When God allows them into your life to test you, want them gone. That's the temptation. Circumvent the cross, and God doesn't want us to circumvent our crosses. So, three times our Lord was tempted. Now, he finally said in verse 11, he said, Get away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God, De Deuteronomy 6.13, and him only shall you serve. Worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. We know that passage very well. And then Jesus said, Away from me, Satan. And the devil left him. And Luke's gospel says he left him only for a time, and he would come back. And that's very important for us today because he comes back, okay? Now, though this, Satan can only be in one place at one time. We call God omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere, right? So God's present everywhere. Satan is not present everywhere. He's a, he's a created being. He's only an angel. He's not God. And so he can't be present everywhere. So Satan has to have demon spirits, fallen angels that do his bidding. And I want to tell you something. Those demonic spirits watch you, and I believe they study you. They study we believers. They study you. Demons know you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know devils know you. And they report to their superior officers, and their superior officers report to Satan. I don't think Satan himself knows you, because frankly, I'm not that all important. We're not that all important. And Satan doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient like God. But there are demons out there who are commissioned to make you fall, who study you, and baby, they know you. I'm not kidding you. They know when we're tired and weak like Jesus was tired and weak. Wasn't that amazing? I mean, Satan himself came to Jesus, and he was tired and weak. What are the best? I mean, when are you vulnerable? When you're tired? When you're exhausted? When you're weak? They know that. And you're vulnerable to what they speak into your ear, man, or what they would have you do, or the thoughts that come to your mind, see? And here's something else we know. Every catechism will tell you this. Not only demons who tempt us, but we're also tempted by the world system that Satan created. The media belongs to Satan. The world belongs to Satan. And so there's a world system out there that has attractions for us, and then we have a fallen sinful nature that the Bible calls the flesh. And so we are tempted by demons. We're tempted by the devil. We're tempted by the world system, and we're tempted by our own flesh. And our flesh is attracted to the world system. And the world system will tell you stuff like this. You don't have to be depressed. You're always down. Come on, try these pills. And it makes sense to a lot of people. Or the world will say he or she doesn't understand you. And they're not meeting your felt needs. So here. And they put someone else in your presence before your eyes, who may meet your felt needs, but that person is not God's best. Or they may say, oh, you can't afford it, but you deserve it. So go ahead, spend what you have, and don't give to more necessary things, and do it all on yourself. Here, that's what the world system holds before you. Or they may say something like this, you know, these people have a need. Well, sure they do, but so do you. 
and you've been working really hard lately, and you got to draw the line somewhere. You just can't keep giving, 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 giving. You, I mean, I mean, take care of yourself first. I mean, it's a you first thing, see? And that's what the world's going to hold out to you. But Satan said, he said, jump. He said, make the stones bread. Worship me. How do you resist? As a Christian, you know God's will, and temptation will come at you. How then do you resist temptation? Well, here's the first principle, and all this should be in your outline, okay? The main principle is this, that we have to know ourselves. You've got to know yourself. Both you and me need to know ourselves to face temptations, especially the stronger ones. We have to know this. We have to know that we are flesh, okay? We are flesh, and the flesh will make us respond to the world system. That's why wives... Do not submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. I'm not saying all of you. I'm just saying a general principle. Wives do not submit to their husbands unto the Lord. They want to control their husbands, even though the Bible says, submit to your husband, even as you would submit unto the Lord. And husbands don't want to love their wives as Christ loved the church, because in Christ loved the church, he gave everything. And that means you give everything for your wife. And that means you even submit where there's no real compromise here. You got to give in, guys, and you got to give her what she wants because you are the provider protector. That's loving like Christ loved the church, and guys don't want to do that, see? And I'm going to tell you something else. If people loved, if husbands loved their wives like Christ loved the church, I don't think there'd be much of a problem with submission, okay? Anyway, that's our flesh. So what do we do? And here's how we fight it. We go back to Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to read Acts chapter 2 real quick. Don't turn there. I got it right here. Verse 4, a lot of you people know this. This was Pentecost. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, resting on each of their heads. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the important word there is filled. The Holy Spirit filled all the disciples. And from that point on, you got to know this, the Spirit filled every person who accepts Jesus Christ. Please know this, it's a doctrinal fact. But the moment you receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit fills you. This is all doctrine. When God pronounces you righteous because you received Jesus Christ, that's justification. And at the same time, the Spirit begins His work in you, and that's sanctification. Justification and sanctification happen, bingo, at the same time. The Spirit of God takes up residence in you. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit because in the Old Testament, where did the Spirit of God dwell? Where did the presence of God dwell? In the temple that Solomon built, in the tabernacle before they had the temple. Because you walk up to the front of that temple and there's a big cloth and behind that cloth, you've got the Holy of Holies and in that Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And where does God say, I'm going to dwell? He dwells in that Ark of the Covenant or on that Ark of the Covenant. That's Old Testament. That's until Pentecost and now Well, until the New Testament and Jesus came, and now presence and the power and the Spirit of God dwells in each of you. And you know, we don't think about this. That is a fact of Scripture. It is a truth. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all of God living in you. And that's why I look to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and you've got to burn this baby into your hearts, let me tell you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul writes this, and the NIV translates it like this, not that we are competent in ourselves. I really like the New King James and King James there. It says not that we are sufficient in ourselves. I like that. I'm going to read it like that. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our sufficiency 
comes from God. He has made us sufficient. And so you got to burn that into your heart and you got to start telling yourself, man, I am not sufficient. He is sufficient. What I'm saying is the Spirit's in you. And when you face temptation, here's what we need to do. We need to give it to God. I mean, this is the principle where, you know, there's the temptation. Here's you. You got to resist that baby. You got to fight it right now. And here's what you do, man. You understand yourself. You know yourself. You say, I am not sufficient. He is sufficient. And there immediately you go after his divine supernatural power, not your natural power. You go after his supernatural power. And you pray, Lord, help me to face this. Help me to face this. The Spirit's in you. And God the Father hears that prayer. He hears your heart to want to not give in to that sin. And I want to tell you something. He will help. That, I mean, that's his promise in Scripture. You need grace. And what is grace? We've talked about this so much. Grace is divine empowerment. That's the broader picture of grace. The narrow picture is it's God's undeserved favor when he saved you. But the broader picture of grace, we see it throughout Scripture, is God's divine empowerment for every circumstance in life, man. When you want to obey God and you need that divine supernatural power, you want grace. That's when you say, God, give me grace. You start praying for grace, man, I'll tell you. You know what I think the toughest temptations are? I think the, tough, the toughest temptations that we resist are our thoughts. People, people fantasize. They go into a, a, what I call a virtual world. But it really is unreal. And the temptation is this, guys. We go into our virtual worlds. And we live in those virtual worlds, and people fantasize. And I think those are the strongest temptations in the world, and we have to go to the throne, man. we got to cry out for grace. I mean, we take small things, and this is our mind, and we make them big because we dwell on them. I mean, that's the temptation. When those thoughts come into your mind, man, you got to face those babies head on. And then what happens is we dwell on them, you get so negative about people and life. Now admit this too, you know, we fight our self-pity thoughts. I mean, why do people take what I say and twist it around? You know, they, they take advantage of me, or I don't deserve this. You said that, I don't deserve this. Come on, you do too. But your mind is going to tell you you don't. I mean, if you believe in the providence of God, don't say, I don't deserve this, see? And you got to practice this. Whenever it comes, you stop right there, you take it to the Lord in prayer, and that's going to work. You're going to see it work. The Spirit will direct you. Ask for that grace. Here's something else, too. God knows exactly how he made you. And he knows that sometimes you need help from other people. We have the Spirit in us, but the Spirit will direct us to other people, like medical people and other people like that who can speak into our lives and help us. And God directs you to those people, so quit being pig-headed. And God's bringing people into your life, and we are being pig-headed. Sometimes you need help. And here's something else. We need to be transparent with Christian people and ask Christian people to pray for us. And that honors God so much. When you ask people to pray for you, that tells God you want to stand against them to this temptation, and you need him. You need need him. I wish a lot of people who leave their husbands or wives, every person who leave their husbands or wives or have that desire would go to, um, would go to a Christian person 
and say, let's pray together. Tell you what's going on in my life, okay? Anyway, Jesus came back as Satan with the word of God three times, all from Deuteronomy. And I think two of those, two out of those three passages are kind of buried in Scripture. And like I said, Jesus was a man who had to learn, he had to study for those passages to come back to his mind. Man shall not live by bread alone. Turn these stones into bread. Well, what did Jesus think of? Immediately, a passage came to his mind, man shall not live by bread alone. So what's he saying? He says, this is the will of God. This is the word of God. This is the will of God. And so, no. I'm going to fast for 40 days, and I'm not going to tell those stones to turn into bread so I can eat and disobey my God. The word of God came to his mind, okay? said, so don't put him to the test. I mean, the subtle approach, the subtle approach of Satan. Well, you're the son of God. Jump, and if he loves you, his angels are going to come down and sweep you up and away and save you like Superman comes to get Lois Lane. I'll bet most of you could testify right now, and I know it's happened that a Bible passage came to you at the perfect time just when you needed it because you gave the Word of God time. Personal Bible study, worship, group Bible study, anything, radio, TV, I don't care what it is. You allowed the Word of God into your heart. You gave the Word of God that priority. And all of you can give a testimony that when you were facing something, that Bible passage came to mind and blessed you and helped you through that. And because you have a heart for God, you know what the Word of God says, and you want to do it. And God knows her, your heart, and He will give you that strength, and the power is in the Word. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m., Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.